John 15, 1 to 8. And I want to start with a very big question this morning. One of the most important questions there is. Are you ready? So the question is, um, well, the question is so big, in fact, that we're going to have to think really big before I ask you this question. We're going to have to pan out the, the camera lens of our lives out bigger than ourselves, bigger than our families and our friends, bigger than our neighborhoods and our towns, bigger even than our state or our nation, all the way out to take in the whole world. And you can just picture the, the slide of the world there, which isn't showing up yet, but that's okay. So you got it, right? Get that perspective. That's what we're going for here. And so here's the question. When God looks at this world, what is God looking for? When, when God checks out what's going on on this earth, what is God keeping his eye out for? What does God want to see? What does God hope to see? Answer, God is looking for fruit. Fruit. Jesus tells us a parable to, to make this point in the Gospel of Mark. He tells us a story about a man who plants a vineyard and puts a wall around it and then rents it out to tenants. And when harvest time comes, he sends his messengers to get what? To get fruit from the vineyard. What does this vineyard owner want when he comes to the vineyard at harvest time? He wants fruit. He wants some of the fruit that the vineyard has produced. Now, um, in this parable that Jesus was, was telling, uh, he was talking to the Jewish people, the historic people of God, the people that God was primarily working with before Jesus threw open salvation and expanded God's mission to the whole world. And in Jesus' parable, God is the vineyard owner, and the vineyard was God's people. And Jesus was telling them that he was coming to them from God looking for fruit. Of course, Jesus isn't the first one to use this sort of imagery, this imagery of vineyards and vines and their fruit. It was a common image in Jesus' day, so much so, in fact, that only a few decades after Jesus' ascension, the Jews minted a coin, and on it they put the image of a vine because this was a common symbol for their people, much like the eagle is a common symbol for Americans today. Can you see the, the, the leaf and the vine and the the grapes on this coin. In the case of the Jews, the symbol of the vine that was so core to their identity came from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, in many places, God compares his people to a vineyard or compares them to a vine. Here are just listing off a few of the places. Hosea 10.1, Jeremiah 2.21, Ezekiel 19.1, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. I'll just read one more example to give you an idea. Psalm 80, 8 through 11. You, God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. And guess what? All these verses where God's people are compared to a vine or a vineyard, guess what they have in common? God always comes to the vine or the vineyard looking for fruit. But, guess what? Here's the tragedy. The fruit is always bad. It's sour, it's rotten, or it's non-existent. 
That's why Jesus says in the beginning of today's passage, not just I am the vine, but I am the true vine. This would have been shocking for the people of his day. A shockingly bold and exclusive claim. We thought the Jewish people, God's people, were the vine. What, Jesus? You're saying that you are the true vine? Yes, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Because the other vine, God's people, didn't produce what God is most looking for, which is what? Fruit. (laughs) They didn't produce good fruit. So Jesus says, I, as a single Jewish man, I am now going to embody in myself God's people. I'm going to step into their shoes, so to speak. I have come, and now I am the true vine. I am the true people of God. And God's people and the fruit God is looking for will now come in and through me. What an audacious claim. In fact, Jesus goes further. What does he say is going to happen to any of God's people who do not bear fruit? Verse 2, he says, My father's the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And verse 6, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. When God looks at the world, what is God looking for above all? God is looking for fruit. So what if you're among God's people and you don't bear fruit? Jesus says God is going to cut you off. This is frightening, right? Here's the thing, though. Let me give you a comforting caveat. Every gardener knows that vines only produce fruit at harvest season. Not all the time. There's a time for planting, a time for growing, a time for pruning, and a time for fruit. And we'll look at that more later. But for now, think about this. If, if you know anything about grapevines, then you know that they have only one purpose, and that's to produce fruit grapes in season to produce fruit the vine cannot be pruned grapevines can't be pruned to make an attractive front yard shrub the wood isn't good for building it isn't good for making furniture or anything else with that's why jesus says that any branch in him that bears no fruit will be cut off and will be thrown into the fire just like any gardener who has vines has no use for dead wood Vine wood that doesn't produce grapes is good for nothing else except to be thrown in the fire. There's only one thing grapevines have the potential to do well, and that's to make grapes, to make fruit. And so fruit is what God is looking for. At the time and place that that Jesus lived, the grape harvest was one of the most joyous times of the year. I mean, the wheat harvest and the barley harvest were good. They meant grain to make bread to survive another year. And the olive harvest was good too. It meant olives and olive oil for baking and cooking, making the food more tasty. But the grape harvest was perhaps the most joyous of all as the culmination of all those harvests. Because in a day when people ate simple, plain food most of the year, the grape harvest meant fresh, sweet fruit to eat, not to mention juice to make wine. And so as we think about the world, what is God looking for above all? God is looking for fruit. 
Now, here's the thing. Jesus, the true vine, could just bear all the fruit himself. He did that when he lived his earthly life and when he died for our sins. But God doesn't want to cast all the rest of us aside. No, God wants to involve us. And so God says, guess what? I'm going to rebuild my people. I'm going to reboot my people, you could say. (laughs) 2.0. Jesus is the true vine, but I'm inviting you as the rest of my people to become a branch and to plug into the vine and to let the life, the sap of the vine, the life of Jesus, the way of Jesus begin to flow through you so that you can join Jesus in bearing the fruit that he bears. God is looking for branches, branches who will bear fruit, branches who will join the vine, plug into the vine, and bear fruit. Jesus says, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the point. We can't bear fruit without the true vine. God's people never could. That's why Jesus had to come. And we still can't either, which shouldn't surprise us because not even Jesus could bear fruit without God. Jesus said this in in John 5.30. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. He also said another time in John, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear from my father. So question, if Jesus couldn't do anything by himself apart from God, how will we? (laughs) How will we bear good fruit on our own? I need a volunteer now. Who wants to be a volunteer? Liz, first hand up. Come on up, Liz. What's this, Liz? Check it out. Yeah, I cut that off a wild grapevine in the woods out here yesterday. And it's, it's not doing so well. But my question is, Do you think this branch will bear fruit this year? Why not? It's not attached to the vine anymore. Okay, you can uh, you can pass that around. Actually, thanks, Liz. (laughs) It's just a matter of time till it completely withers and dies, right? Because it's no longer, thanks to my shears, attached to the vine. We can't bear fruit by ourselves. We have to stay connected to the true vine to bear fruit. So how do we stay connected? How does a branch stay connected to the vine? Or to use the word Jesus uses, how do we remain in the vine? Or some of your translations may put it, how do we abide in the vine? Well, this word remain or abide um, actually shows up a lot in John's gospel. And so we can begin to see what Jesus means by it if we go over how it's used elsewhere in the gospel. So, for example, right in chapter 1, we find that some of Jesus' early prospective followers, they were considering getting to know Jesus and following him. And um, so they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Which is the same Greek word. Where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? And Jesus said to them, come and see. And so John tells us they stayed, they remained, they abided with him all that day. 
And so first and most literally, to remain, to abide, means to stay with or to hang out with. To remain in the vine is to hang out with Jesus. There's only one problem. We can't literally and physically hang out with Jesus anymore, right? (laughs) And this is a problem that Jesus' first followers were worried about too. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, when does the passage we're looking at this morning, John 15, where does it come in, in the Gospel of John? It comes in the story right after Jesus has told his disciples he's going away. They're in an upper room in Jerusalem. They're enjoying the Passover meal together. And Jesus says, friends, I've got some news for you. I'm going away. But don't worry. I'll come back. Not physically, but spiritually through my Holy Spirit. I'll be with you again. And so you can hang out with me. You can remain with me through my Spirit. As Jesus puts, us in, uh, puts it in John 14, 17, the Spirit lives with you, abides with you, remains with you, that's that same word again, and will be in you. Then as we continue to, to look at this word remain in John's gospel, we find it again in chapter 6, verses 56. Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. What do you mean, Jesus? Right? (laughs) Well, many have seen in these verses a reference to communion, where we eat bread, we drink the cup, and and this is a way to remain in the vine. But of course, communion points to much more than a little bit of matzah and a little cup. It, It speaks to our feasting on Christ in our hearts are depending on Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, for spiritual nourishment. And it speaks to our participation in Christ's body with one another. That's all part of what it means to remain. And then moving uh, later in John, two verses after the verses we looked at this morning, in chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says, Remain in my love. How? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. How do we remain? How do we abide in Jesus' love? Jesus says we keep His commands. And what's Jesus' number one command? If you were here last week, it's the only directive we saw that Jesus actually calls a command in John's Gospel. We learn to love one another. So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Unless we remain in the vine, we cannot bear any fruit. How do we remain in the vine? We, we hang out with Jesus. How do we do this when he's not physically here with us? Well, by getting to know his Holy Spirit. By taking communion and even more, by living out the reality communion speaks to. By putting our faith in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, for spiritual nourishment, and by obeying Jesus' command, especially his command that we love one another. In a word, we remain in the vine by maintaining a close, committed relationship with Jesus. That's how we remain. That's how we abide. And what will happen when we do? Well, Jesus promises that in time, we will bear fruit. 
not all the time, not every day or every season even, but in season, we will bear fruit. And fruit is what God's looking for above all. Fruit is what God wants most. And fruit is what we can't produce unless we remain in the vine, in Jesus. So how do we remain? Or how does, sorry, how does remaining in Jesus lead to fruit? What's the connection? Well, to understand this process, we're, we're going to have to know a little bit about grapevines. And when we lived in Canada, we had a couple grapevines. And so we learned a little bit about this process. And, and I love those vines. They were huge. They'd grow like crazy. They took up our whole back fence. That's not them, but they kind of looked like that. And, and every time I would trim them back, they'd just grow more leafy and more lush. But unfortunately, their grapes were very few and kind of sour. Well, I wanted good grapes. And so I started paying attention to grapes and, and seeing what I could learn about them. And one thing I noticed when I'd have a chance to drive past a real vineyard was that the vines in the vineyard were stubby and gnarly. If you move to the next picture. As I read up on grapes, I realized how important pruning is. And, and, and that I had not been nearly ruthless enough in cutting back the vines in my yard. If I wanted good grapes, I needed to really drastically cut back all that beautiful, prolific, leafy growth until there was almost nothing left. It, it was counterintuitive, and it was hard to make myself do. I, I felt like I was killing the plant, and I was destroying its potential. But here's the thing. The purpose of a grapevine isn't tons of leaves. <laughs> it's fruit, right? Fruit is the point. And so if you prune them back properly... And drastically, after the harvest is over, the next spring and summer, they grow again. And then in the fall, you get lots, if we could have the next slide, lots of sweet, juicy grapes, right? Fruit, that's the goal. Fruit is what matters. But you don't expect to get fruit all the time. You only expect to get it at harvest time. Listen to Jesus' words again. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more so there are seasons, seasons of bearing fruit, then seasons of being pruned back before seasons of growing again, and finally, seasons of more fruit. So what's our job? It's to remain in Jesus. Like a branch into a vine, it's to hang out with Jesus, to be plugged into Jesus, to trust him, to walk with him, to obey him, and especially to learn to love one another, which is the command he gave us. If we do, if we remain, we will grow. And if we grow, we will bear fruit. Yet if we bear fruit, we will be pruned back. So what's this pruning part? That part doesn't sound so attractive. 
Well, here's the thing. There, there's a play on words here in the original Greek, which John's using. The, the word translated pruned can also be translated cleaned. And so Jesus says to his first followers in verse 3, you're already pruned, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. What word? What word has Jesus spoken that has pruned or cleaned his followers? Well, what has Jesus been telling his disciples? If you read the story in John's gospel. If you can remember back to last Sunday when we looked at uh, chapter 13, um, we, we see some of this. Jesus has been telling his disciples that the time has come, the hour has come for what? Remember last week? The hour has come for Jesus to be glorified. And, and how was Jesus going to be glorified? Not by a great, majestic, powerful coronation, but by a painful pruning, by being cut back. Jesus is going to die on a cross. Because, he says, to switch the analogy in John 12, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies... It remains just a seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And so Jesus, explaining this to his disciples, he washes their feet. He cleans them and he says, I've cleaned you. And it's, by the way, it's the same word as pruned here. He, he stoops low and he serves them. He loves them sacrificially. And, and he's giving this as a metaphor about what he's about to do for them on the cross. And he says, this is the way, the way I've treated you. This is the way you're to treat one another. Whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. Serve one another. Love one another sacrificially like I'm doing for you. Don't seek to be great. Seek to be a servant. That's a pruning word, right? <laughs> it's painful. Just like that grapevine in my yard, it's counterintuitive to cut back all that big leafy life, all that wonderful growth. Our life with all its leafy greenness, though, Jesus says, has to be cut back from time to time. Ouch. But only then will we, in time, in season, grow again and then bear fruit. And fruit is all that matters. Fruit is what God is looking for. Let me give you an example of this, this pruning. I feel like this past year has been a time of pruning for me and for our church. Joe and Sharon, who were key leaders in our church, left us because God was calling them to do other things, and we had to let them go. So did Phil and Lydia. They left us as well. Others, there were others who left, and it was painful. And some of the great forward momentum that we had as a church kind of stalled. The, the fruit we were experiencing a year ago at this time began to dry up. And it was like God was cutting us back and pruning us. I've experienced this pruning in my own life at other times too. Like, like the time that, um, that I left our church in Canada when we were there. At that time, Anne and my fathers had both died. And um, we were also feeling kind of beat up uh, from some of the things that had happened at the, the church in the year before that we left. And to be honest, I wasn't sure how the church was going to recover from some of those things. I didn't know what my legacy would be there. 
if the church would bounce back and thrive or if it would limp along. And so I was, I was grieving those five years of, of hard work that I'd put in, and, and I didn't know what it would amount to. My first pastorate, you know, was it a big failure? So meanwhile, we moved in with my mom. I had no job. I wasn't sure what the future looked like. And it was painful because it was a time of pruning. But here's the thing. Jesus says, every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes, cuts back, cleans. It's counterintuitive, but, but it's necessary if there's going to be more fruit in the future. And, and so guess what I learned through all that? I learned that the gardener is never so near to the branches as when by his own hand he prunes them. It's because he loves us and he's teaching us again the way of Jesus. The way of being a servant. The way of sacrificial love. That, that finding is found in losing. That life is found in dying. That greatness is found in becoming least. That's the pruning word. That's what it takes for more and better fruit. And fruit is what it's about. Fruit is what the Father is looking for. So what is the fruit? It's a nice metaphor, but what is it? What kind of fruit is the gardener looking for? Well, remember, Jesus is the true vine. It's Jesus who produces the kind of fruit God is looking for. And so if Jesus is the vine, and if we're the branches, then we're going to produce the same kind of fruit that Jesus produced. We're going to grow to have the same kind of character that Jesus has. We're going to grow to treat people and to love people the way Jesus loves them. We're going to grow to be faithful to God and obedient to God the way Jesus was faithful and obedient to his heavenly Father. We're going to grow to do the works that Jesus did to help people find forgiveness, to help them find healing, to help them find freedom and deliverance to bring the kingdom of God. I love the way Mike Breen summarizes it. He says, fruit is the life of Jesus being reproduced in you and then through you in someone else. Listen to how Jesus describes this fruit. We, we can begin to get a picture of it as we, we keep reading. So down in verse 7, first of all, Jesus tells us that fruit includes answers to our prayers. If you remain in me, he says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So fruit includes answered prayers. Answers to the kinds of prayers we will pray when we are remaining in Jesus and his words are remaining in us. I think these are the kinds of prayers that that um, ask Jesus to do for us and to do for other people what we see Jesus doing in the Bible. As Jesus put it in Luke 4, he came that good news would get proclaimed to the poor, that the blind would see, that captives would get set free, that the oppressed would be set free, and that people would know that it was the time of God's favor. 
And so when we have been hanging out with Jesus and we have been learning to pray these kinds of prayers and Jesus' word is remaining in us and so we're praying his priorities, then guess what? He says those kinds of prayers will be answered and that will be fruit. But you can't bear this kind of fruit by yourself. It requires remaining in Jesus, hanging out with Jesus. Then in verse 12, we see that bearing fruit also involves loving each other to the point that we lay down our lives for one another. After all, that's the kind of fruit Jesus produced, isn't it? It's the fruit that forever changed the world. And as we produce this fruit too, as we learn to love one another like Jesus loved, it's how the world will know that we are his disciples. We saw he told us that last Sunday. Again, we can't produce this kind of fruit by ourselves. It requires hanging out with, abiding with, remaining in Jesus. Because Jesus is the true vine. And the branches cannot bear fruit unless they remain in the vine. I've been meditating on this, um, this passage we're looking at this morning over the past few weeks. And I wanted to share it with you as tomorrow I begin my sabbatical. And I hope that you'll pray for me that it will be a time of remaining, a time of abiding, a time of hanging out with Jesus. Of remembering that by myself I can do nothing. And, and I hope you find time this summer to abide as well. Because Jesus is the true vine. And unless we abide in him, we can't bear fruit. And fruit is what matters. Fruit is what God is looking for. Fruit is what it's all about.